Good morning, Brown Corners. We're so thankful you chose to be with us this morning. If you are willing and able, I ask you to stand with us as we read together our call to worship. It's found in Romans 11, 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And who has even given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Get an amen this morning. Oh, 
words of word that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than song, for a song in itself is not what you have much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart coming back to a heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you Jesus sorry Into my heart, you're looking into 
It's all about you, and it's not about me, Jesus. Because we're sorry, Lord, for things that we've made it. When it's all about you, God, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for things them were foolish and five of them were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them. But the wise ones took oil in their flask and their lamps. When the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout, here's the groom, come and meet him. Then all the virgins got up and trimmed their lamps the foolish ones said to the wise ones, uh, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. The wise ones answered, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Well, when they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. He replied, eh, Truly, I don't know you. Therefore, be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. Thank you, Ben. Uh, good morning. Really want to welcome you here to worship with us today, and uh, we're glad you've joined us uh, here, and we're glad you made it on time with the service changing the different different hours here today. Um, we're, we sure are grateful you're you're worshiping. We're going to be in that passage that Ben just read to us in Matthew chapter twenty five. Matthew chapter twenty five. As you're turning there, we, we recognize that this is a, a week that has been uh, laden with a great deal of uh, heaviness, um, not only coming from the, the shooting in Buffalo, but then with the tragedy down in Texas this week and the, the murder of those um, innocent and precious children and teachers. And then, of course, we're coming into Memorial Day weekend and thinking about those who have given their lives for our country. And so I would just like us to take a moment. We're going to bow in prayer and just, um, just call out to God on behalf of those who are hurting and aching and suffering, as well as, as just gratitude for those sacrifices that were made to give us the freedoms that, for example, that allow us to be able to meet here uh, so freely. And so let's just take a moment before we open up God's word and, and pray for 
all of these things that are heavy upon our hearts and minds this morning. And, and of course, as we pray, uh, join in with your own um, burdens and cares as we, as we pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and sometimes we don't have words to be able to put into, uh, into our prayers the, the heaviness that's upon our heart. I love the psalms that you've given us through David and the other psalmists that just express the anguish of suffering and hurt and sorrow and burdens. And, and, and the, there's such a precious reminder, oh God, from your word that you're near to the brokenhearted and you save the crushed in spirit. Lord, we want to pray tonight, today for these families in Buffalo and, and these families in Texas we cannot imagine the grief and the anguish that they're experiencing right now. But you do, oh God. You understand. You know their burdens and their cares. And you know the, uh, the pain that they bear. Oh God, we cry out for justice. We cry out for healing. We cry out for, for our Savior to restore and heal all things. We cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. As we turn on the news, oh God, we see such a, such a tremendous amount of pain, such a tremendous amount of anguish and, and fighting and discord and fear. And we, we come before you today, Lord, we, we need to cling to you. You are the one, that, the cornerstone that we just sang about. Sometimes in these moments, God, it's hard even to find the faith to cling to the cornerstone. I pray, God, that you would help our unbelief. Give us wisdom to know how we can bring justice and bring grace and love into this, this world that is hurting. Lord, may we not sit idly by. May we, may we step in to the pain. May we step into the suffering. May we not retreat from all that's going on in the world, but boldly step in with the grace and the hope and the peace that can only come from you, God. This morning, we also just want to express our gratitude for those who have given their lives in service to our country and to help bring the freedoms that we enjoy today. Lord God, may we not take for granted the good gifts that you have given to us in, in any area of, of our life, but especially on a weekend like this where we think about the privileges and the blessings that have been brought to us by those who have sacrificed their lives. God, now as we turn to your word, as we continue to worship you, we ask that you be honored and glorified. As we think about our Savior, Jesus, the bridegroom, returning for his bride. And the reminder that we don't know the time. God, would your spirit speak to us that we might be watchful, that we might be those who are ready. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Today is the, the last message in our series that we've called Theology on Mission, where we've tried to look at various theological categories or topics and, and show not only how they're practical, but how they, that we could be propelled and encouraged and challenged to go on mission. And this last category deals with primarily the idea of last things. It's the, it's the topic of eschatology, which is, again, uh, theologians speak for the end times. But really, in, in what we're, we're saying here today is that eschatology is more than just the study of the last times and what things will be like in the future, but it's really the idea, the thought of the goal of all things, where God is, is taking us uh, as, he, as He drives towards that completion, that, that return of Jesus Christ. Michael Bird has said, all theology is driven by eschatology, since the, theology is the attempt to identify what happened when what happened when God's plan for the future began to invade the present age. And that's what's happened in Jesus Christ. He has come to the earth, and he will come again. And so eschatology really is infused in, in all of the, the theological areas that we talk about. And before we get to the text, I just want to uh, answer the question, what is eschatology? The study of the last things. Um, that's, that's the standard definition. It includes Jesus' second coming, the resurrection, the final judgment, and the consummation. But eschatology, as we just mentioned, is not only about the end times, it's the final chapter of God's book of history. In fact, in your notes, I put this definition in there. It says eschatology is about the larger picture of God's redemptive plan. God's redemptive plan in the world as it moves towards its final goal of fulfillment in the future. One writer says that in this vital sense, it's not just about the end, the final few pages of the book, as it were, but it's, a, it's about the story as a whole, past, present, and future, and as individual parts of it read now consistently in the light of the promised end. Our primary goal in looking at eschatology, if you study the doctrine of last things in the scripture, the primary goal is so that we might glean how we can live right now in the present. More than any other aspect of theology, though, I think it's easy to get lost in the forest of eschatology. So many get wrapped up in bizarre interpretations of the details of Revelation that eschatology can serve to fill serve more to fill up prophecy charts than, than it does to fill up our hearts. It becomes a, a goal of trying to name the details, who are these beasts, what do these heads represent in Revelation, rather than saying, what, what, is, what does God want us to know, and, and how does that impact us here and now? Eschatology doesn't have to be a, uh, something that we run from or something that distract, distracts us from the present. Now, being that we can't cover every aspect of eschatology this morning, we will focus in on just one element, and really it's the most important one, the return of Christ and what God has to say, specifically what Jesus has to say, about being ready for that day. The passage that Ben read emphasizes the importance of readiness. I once read an article in the Atlanta Journal from back in 1997 that uh, you just you can't help but feel remorse and sympathy for the man in this article by the name of Clarence Jackson. 
article says this, the clock struck midnight and Clarence Jackson did not turn in to a millionaire. Jackson, who is 24, works in a small cleaning business in Hartford, Connecticut to help support his elderly parents. He won the Connecticut Lotto jackpot in October of 1995, and it was worth $5.8 million. He submitted the ticket three days after the one-year deadline. He'd given the ticket to his ailing father and didn't realize it was a winner until 15 minutes before the deadline. He didn't know that he could run to his local lotto dealer to verify the ticket, so instead he waited through the weekend until Monday to redeem the ticket at lotto headquarters. It was too late. He even took the case before Congress, Congress, uh, the, the Connecticut House of Representatives, I shouldn't say Congress, but the Connecticut House of Representatives even voted 82 to 63 to award Jackson the money. However, the Senator Alvin Penn refused to allow the bill to come to the floor to the Senate and killed the bill on the spot. And Jackson lost out on $5.8 million. All because he wasn't watching the clock. He wasn't ready. And in Matthew 25, we hear a story that gives us a reminder of the importance of readiness. There were five foolish and five wise virgins that were waiting for this wedding feast. And they didn't know when the bridegroom would come. He could show up at any time. And that was common in, in weddings in that days because a lot of times there was a procession and there were several stops along the way. And, and the arrival of the groom could be hours and hours and hours past the expected time because of the celebrations that were taking place at these various stops. And so there were some that had brought extra oil along for their lamps so that they could light the way. And then there were others who didn't have enough. And as the time went on, those who hadn't brought enough, they ran out. And they begged those who had some to give them some, and they wouldn't. And so they went in the search for oil for their lamps in the middle of the night. Now, now this was a time, this, there was no 24-hour oil mart that they could just go to and find oil. They would have had to go door to door, waking people up, knocking on doors, trying to find some extra oil for their lamps. And by the time they returned, it was too late. And they pounded on the door, begging for entrance. And yet they were told that they could not come in. This story comes as a part of a bigger package, and actually that goes back to the beginning of Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 and 25 are about this look towards the future, towards the end times, when Jesus answers the, the, the disciples' question back in chapter 24, verse 3, when they said, tell us, Jesus, tell us when these things will happen, and what is the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Now, as we think about this this parable, we have to remember, just like all parables, we can't get lost in the details. It, it, when, it, when it comes to parables, every aspect of the parable, it, it, it's not essential. It doesn't necessarily mean every, every component of it has a meaning. For example, we're not told that the oil represents anything. If you read commentaries, some people will try to explore, is the oil, oil faith, or is it grace, or is it the Holy Spirit? Jesus doesn't, doesn't assign the oil a meaning. Um, we also can get caught up on, man, that really wasn't nice of the five virgins not to share their oil. Didn't Jesus talk about generosity? That, he wasn't teaching generosity here in this parable. That, that wasn't his point. Uh, in fact, it, it could be argued that had they given up 
some of their oil, they would not have been prepared or ready either. We can't get lost in the details. So as we think about what this parable teaches us and what eschatology or the, the study of the, the God's goal of all things, particularly as it moves towards the completed end of his program in this world, eschatology reminds us that Jesus is and has been coming. He has come and he is coming. When Jesus came into this world for the first time, he announced that his kingdom was coming. The theologians call this the already but not yet. What they mean is that Jesus came in and, and he spoke of the kingdom as being present, as here sometimes. And then other times he talked about it as if it was future, as if it was yet to come. When Jesus came to minister here on this earth, the, the, the kingdom of God began to break into this world. That's why he would say things like in uh, Mark 1.15 and Matthew 4.17, the kingdom of God has come near. The Apostle Paul speaks of this when he says uh, in Colossians 1.13 that, that Jesus has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. There is a past aspect to the kingdom of God coming, but there's also a future aspect. Scripture over and over again, especially while Jesus was here, talked about uh, this future time of the kingdom of God. The kingdom could be defined, in fact, we, we studied this a couple years back, and we defined it as the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. When we look at a passage like this, we're reminded that Jesus has come, and he will be coming. Jesus has already broken into this world, bringing the gospel, the good news, that our lives can be transformed through his grace. The old made new, a new birth, a coming alive. This is the promise, the promise that will reach its fulfillment one day when Jesus returns. But eschatology, second, or thirdly, reminds us also to have hope. It reminds us to have hope. See, these, both the wise and the foolish virgins, they both had to wait a long time for this groom, the bridegroom, to come. Have you ever had to wait a long time for something that you really anticipated? I think we've all been there, especially as a kid getting close to Christmas time. But maybe, maybe it's something deeply spiritual, a life that you were praying for and longing to be transformed. You waited and you waited and you waited, and you seemed like that day would never arrive. For, for these wedding guests, the wise virgins and the foolish virgins, they waited a long time. In fact, <laughs> it tells us that both of them, in verse 5, it tells us both groups fell asleep while they were waiting. Again, this is another detail that we can't get lost in. There are other passages that talk to us about not falling asleep, being alert and being ready. But this passage here, it doesn't condemn either of them for fall. Jesus doesn't condemn either of them for falling asleep. They waited a long time. I'll tell you what, the, the return of Christ, I don't know if you feel like this sometimes, it can seem like a fairy tale. It's been a long time, 2,000 years. We've waited, we've waited for the bridegroom's return. But this passage reminds us that we can wait with hope. The groom arrived, verse 10 tells us that. He did come. 
There was a delay. There was an, a, a longer than expected delay. But the groom came. As believers living in this world with so much that is tumultuous, so much that is uncertain, so much that, that brings fear and anguish. As we, I mean, if you watched for even five minutes the images and interviews this week in Texas, your heart breaks. And you wonder, is there ever going to be an end to the suffering that we experience here in this world? Is there ever going to be justice? Is there ever going to be a righting of these wrongs? Will that time ever come when sin and sorrow and sickness and death are removed? And Jesus said, yes, I am coming. Meditating on the return of Christ infuses us with hope. No matter how bad things get here on earth, we must never forget that Jesus is coming back. He keeps his word. During the Thirty Years' War in the 17th century, German pastor Paul Gerhardt and his family were forced to flee from their home. One night as they stayed in a small village inn, homeless and afraid, his wife broke down and cried in open despair. And to comfort her, Gerhardt reminded her of Scripture's promises about God's provision and that he keeps his own. And going out to the garden to be alone, he too broke down and wept. He felt as though he had come to his own darkest hour. Soon afterward, Gerhardt felt the burden lifted and sensed anew the Lord's presence. He took up his pen and he wrote this hymn that has brought comfort to many. Give to the winds thy fears, hope and be undismayed. God hears thy sighs and counts thy tears. God shall lift up thy head through the waves and clouds and storms. He gently clears the way. Wait thou his time. So shall the night soon end in joyous day. My brothers and sisters, we can wait and hope. Though the waiting seems long, though hope sometimes wavers and may even fade, we can cling to the promises of our God. For soon the night shall end in joyous day. Fourthly, eschatology reminds us to know what time it is. Eschatology reminds us to know what time it is. How many of you ever asked somebody to tell you that, I guess it doesn't happen as much with our phones, always present, but. You're a kid anyway. Ever ask your mom or dad, hey, what time is it? How many times did dad answer? Time for you to get a watch. There's a good dad line right there. <laughs> There's some of us that feels like that have no concept of what time it is. You don't have to raise your hand, but some of you are those kinds of folks who are always running late for everything. And your friends, your family have just decided like there's you time like they're they're gonna plan the event and they're gonna tell you that it's taking place about an hour before it actually does and so that you'll show up maybe just maybe on time some of us have have been like that it's our built into our personality I guess or we just didn't learn when we were younger that we live in a in a in a in a culture anyways that, that is pretty heavy on honoring time some of us would do much better to go to a place like Central America where it's like 
It's just anything goes. Like you would be right at home, right? Like this, that's, that's just a different culture, right? But this particular culture here is, is very time-centered. We're all about being on time. And if you're, if you're not early, you're not on time, right? Well, Jesus doesn't say that, that, that there's necessarily any virtue to being time-centric. In fact, there could be some downsides. But I'll tell you what, there, there's an importance when it comes to thinking about the big picture of our, of our Lord and Savior and His return to know what time it is, to be aware of a ticking clock. The, the, the parable ends in verse 13 with Jesus saying, Therefore, this is sort of the moral of the story, Therefore, be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. Just as neither the wise or the foolish virgin knew when that bridegroom was going to show up. They had no idea, but it was definitely longer than they expected. So too, none of us, no matter how many times it's attempted by TV preachers or theologians taking a shot at the, the naming a date for Jesus' return, none of us know. We don't know when he's coming back. Furthermore, we don't even know the number of our own days here on this earth. And Jesus teaches us, it's all throughout the scriptures, all throughout the scriptures, to be alert, be ready. You know, as I was reading here, I, I realized there's much to be commended about the foolish virgins. It may seem strange to say that, but there's much to be commended about the foolish virgins in this parable. First of all, they'd been invited to the wedding. They were, they were there. They had showed up. They were present. They were there waiting for the bridegroom. They even seemed to have a great excitement about him and an affection for him. They're looking forward to his return. They were not waiting with cold indifference. And even in verse 11, some of our translations say it differently, but it says they refer to him as master, master. That's the, those are the Greek words for Lord, Lord, Lord. There's an idea where they were even naming him as Lord. Does that remind you of another passage of Jesus's? Lord, Lord, we did all these things for you. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. You see, on the outside, we can look spiritual. We can, we can come to church. The, the, these foolish virgins were there. They were present. They were there with the true followers. But they weren't ready. What separated them from the wise and the foolish virgins? It was their preparedness. It was their readiness. The wise virgins were called wise because they were ready for the return of the bridegroom. In the same way, you and I are called to readiness. Jesus says, be alert. That's, it's the word for constant readiness, a constant vigilance. There's a lot of us here in this room that are, that are huge hunters big deer hunters in the fall, right? And there's kind of there's two broad categories of a deer hunter. There's, there's the, the person who goes in the blind and has set up the blind in the, in the warmest and most comfortable way because they deep down know that, that, that they're not going to do anything with that gun. They've come for a nap. <laughs> a nap out in the woods. And then there's that hunter that 
no matter how many times in the last week you told your wife, I'm sorry, honey, I didn't hear you. What would you say? You can hear a twig snap six miles away. You are ready. You are vigilant. You know the difference between the sound of a squirrel, the sound of a rabbit, the sound of a deer walking on moss. And you, you know the difference and you're alert and you are ready for it and you hear it and you're prepared. You've got, you've got the gun loaded. You've brought the ammo. You sight it in your rifle ahead of time. Not just shot it last November. You were ready. You're alert. You're waiting. You know, there are some elements to our life where we, we understand this idea of alertness very, very well. Moms, you know it with your kids. You can hear a, a cry. You can hear this. You know the difference between a, the sound of playing with toys and the sound of playing with something they shouldn't be playing with. You can hear it. You're alert. You're ready. How many times, kids, has your, has your parents, without looking, said, stop doing that. Don't touch that. I told you not to stick your finger in the cake. And you're like, are you kidding me? You're not even in the kitchen right now. How do you know this? <laughs> they're alert and they're aware. We know this in many walks of life, the importance of preparedness and readiness and alertness. But so often, we don't bring that knowledge into our Christian life. Jesus said that we're to live with that kind of vigilance, that awareness that he could come at any time. What would that do if every day throughout the day we were thinking that Jesus could return at any time? How would that transform our lives? It's unbelievable when you really stop. If you stop and sit in this for a while, it transforms anything. Think about when there are times when, when my kids have been waiting for a ride and they're, they're waiting for that friend or that, that friend's parents to pick them up for an exciting adventure. And they're pacing by the window, looking about every five seconds. They're looking. In fact, a lot of times they'll just go on the porch and wait. There's this vigilance. Everything about them is directed towards the expected coming of this friend. What if, <laughs> what if our days looked like us waiting for that friend to come? What would it look like for us to live in this constant alertness? Jesus said, we simply don't know when he will come. He will return. He, in fact, these, in this story here, the groom came in the middle of the night, a time when they least expected it. A life lived with an awareness of what time it is shapes and forms everything. There are two psalms that remind us of this as well. In Psalm 34, 9, we're called to pray, Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days so that I will know how short-lived I am. And in Psalm 90, verse 12, we're told, uh, or, or the psalmist prays, teach us to number our days carefully so we may develop wisdom in our hearts. How does this impact mission? How does this, we think about theology on mission, how does this shape, how does eschatology, the fact that, that God is at work bringing about the goal of his plan and will one day bring it to culmination and the return of Jesus Christ, the judgment and eternity, 
I'll just, there are a lot of things we could say. I'm just going to say one, one thing. It reminds us that we have a time-sensitive mission. We have a time-sensitive mission. The task is urgent, my brothers and sisters. We are called to this vigilance, and we're called on this mission that is time-sensitive. Our Savior could come back at any moment. And as we think about taking the gospel to our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones and and supporting missionaries that are doing it around the world or even going ourselves to those far reaches of the globe, we need to live with an urgency that we're on a time-sensitive mission. In his book, Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis writes about conversations between a senior demon, imaginary conversations between a senior demon and a new recruit. And in one of the scenes that he paints, they're planning their strategy for attacking the world that is hearing the message of salvation. And one of the demons says, I've got the plan, Master. When I get on the earth and take charge of people's thinking, I'll tell them, There's no heaven out there. The devil responds, "Uh, they'll never believe that. This book of truth is full of messages about the hope of heaven through sins forgiven. They're not going to believe that. They know there's a glory, a glorious future. Another demon chimes in and says, I've got the plan. I'll tell them there's no hell. That's no good either, he says. Jesus, while he was here on earth, talked more of hell than of heaven. They know in their hearts they're wrong, will have to be taken care of in some way. They deserve nothing more than hell. And one brilliant little demon in the back stood up and said, then I know the answer. I'll just tell them there's no hurry. My brothers and sisters, we, we live on the clock, as it were. Our Savior, even before we leave here today, could return at any moment. We are on the clock. May we not get lulled into the delusion that there's, there's no hurry. There's no urgency. Our Savior's coming. And it should bring our hearts great joy to know that Jesus is coming back. But it also reminds us to live in view of an imminent return. At any moment, we could hear the trumpet sound and our Savior return. May that give you hope today, no matter what you're walking through. May it give you an extra hop in your step, an extra pull in your heart as you think about your Savior's return. We're going to take some time to pray now, and I just want to, as always, invite you, if if you feel the need to pray about anything, whether it's something we've talked about today, or God's convicting your heart, or challenging your heart in some other way, we'd love to have you come up front. There's going to be some folks up here who would love to pray with you if you'd like that, otherwise you can pray by yourself. Let's, Let's bow. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we... 
I know without even hearing the, the stories, I know that some of us have walked in here with a great heaviness on our hearts. Maybe it's because of what's going on in our nation and what's been on the news. But more than likely, it has something to do with something that's hit maybe much closer to home. God, you know the, the aches and the burdens that come here today. You also know the things that have distracted us today. The things that have kept us from being on mission. That have caused us to get, get sort of lost in the weeds of life, as it were. And not, not maintaining that forward-looking perspective as people who know what time it is. Heavenly Father, this morning I pray that, that the return of our Savior would be real to us. That it's not a, a distant, far-off promise. That it's not some uh, fairy tale. But the, 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 the fact that our Savior will return just as He ascended into the clouds, so too He will descend. That that would that would shape the way that we live today. It would shape the things that we invest our time and energy on. It would shape the, the way that we, we talk to one another, that it would shape the, the people that we talk to and what we talk to them about. It would shape our parenting, our marriages, our money. God, give us... Give us hope this morning for our Savior's return. And give us a heart of urgency, knowing that that return could be at any time. May we not be found asleep. May we not be found unprepared. May our heart rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour. Each day may we rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And may we hold that gospel forth as light to those around us. That's how we be ready. God, give us an alertness. Now to the God who is from everlasting to everlasting, who has loved you with an everlasting love and gives you an everlasting life, may he now support you with the everlasting arms of our Savior in these days and all the days until Jesus comes. May God bless you this week as you go forth. Amen.